Rebecca of Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers. Turned internet friends. Turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot. Or that young. Every week, we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Hi, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? Uh, it's um, a lot going on in the neighborhoods, so there may be some ambient noise from <laughs> real working designer from life. Renstead headquarters is currently under construction. And I'm also recording at happy hour and we have a member here and there's some tile sampling happening and some lawnmowers happening. So it's, I don't know. I feel like that makes us more authentic. It's like the sounds of the wild, like white noise noise for designers. We we go to sleep. White noise is framing, drywall, electrical work. Tile click clacks. I do kind of like it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, okay. This episode, I feel like we've been like formulating it for a long time and I think it's going to be good. I mean, we've messed with our own models on this for a while. We've talked about it. We're still not the experts, but I think we get it. We keep getting questions from hotties. And there's like these common threads that keep coming out. And I'm like, oh, maybe we haven't talked about this. Or like as explicitly. Like just focusing on this. Yeah. Yeah. Also, this has been like very much, you've always been pretty good about this, but this has all been very much my focus the last couple months because I have not been doing well at making money. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I've been doing great at getting clients. I've been doing good at working a lot, but I have not been great at making money. Just ask my husband. Actually, don't because it's a hot issue. Yeah. I've been telling him I've basically been in college for four years, and he should be glad that I didn't actually pay tuition. <laughs> oh, so. no. <laughs> Um, okay, but I don't know if you heard this hot take. I meant to share this with you separately, but did you listen to Emily Henderson's interview on Business of Home podcast? Not yet, but I oh, need to, I it's guess. like fresh out. And she's talking about these points in her own business where she realized, like, oh my God, I have 12 people, but like no money. And like literally, she said checks were bouncing. And I'm like, huh? Emily Henderson? Like, I'm so glad she talked about it. I'm like, go listen to it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I will definitely listen to it because I think there's not a lot of transparency. And I don't know if it's culturally American or what, where everyone wants to look like a baller and no one really knows what's happening behind closed doors or bank accounts. Um, But it's like, making money has been kind of a taboo. It seemed like a rude thing to talk about. Um, and we all have our different money mindset issues that all stem from different places. And I don't know, I'm just over it. And I've been putting some really hard lines in the sand with my new projects and I am still in the beginning stages of it. So I think 
what I love about us. <laughs> I love this for us. I love this for us. I want our listeners, you hotties, to know that we are in this with you. So this is like a podcast from the trenches. We're not on some mountain high trying to tell you <laughs> everything and how to do it because we're working designers still figuring it out. And um, yeah, we've learned some things. So that's definitely what we want to be sharing with you because we do think there are some things that have worked, but I don't know. We're lucky because we have each other, you know, our pod of three, we are three different businesses sharing different experiences, constantly iterating and evolving. And I don't know. And we want to help each other and being like devil's advocate for one another of like I'm hearing you say that and I hear you saying you like it but I'm just saying you might not like it forever or you might (laughs) when you told me this morning you think I'm gaslighting myself (laughs) I haven't responded to that yet but well if you can't gaslight yourself who can you gaslight You (laughs) you need somebody to tell you like like, it's like that friend who would always speak up when you've like, should I get back together with that boyfriend? And everyone's like, no, girl, no. And you're like, but he loves me. And then your friends are like, no, no. Like there's, they're ringing the alarm, you know? And they're like, please stop. And there's and always like the one friend that actually is, you actually take their advice because you somehow respect it more than other yes, people. Yes, yes. And then you're like, okay, fine. And then you were like, oh, God damn it. They were right the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Or the same with like a book or movie review on a lighter level. Like there's certain people that I will not take a recommendation. Like my dad. Sorry, dad. But if you like a movie, it does not it's mean not anything. Me. To, well, maybe it is, <laughs> but it really doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But there's some people that, oh, they loved it. Okay. I'm going to love it. I know it. It's tried sure. and true. So Sure. Okay, so we we, are the Rotten Tomatoes for (laughs) designers. I don't watch anything under 85% and I don't read anything under 3.85 on Goodreads. So there you go. There you go. Um, Let's aggregate some ideas here. So we've broken this out into like two areas. These are not the only ways designers make money, but these are like the big hits yeah like most designers are making money from design fees and product like selling goods yes that's like primarily the yeah sure some people are also coaches or they have a class or they have this but like affiliate sales yeah, but like most the ba- the two like big groups are you have design fees and you have products that you're selling. And we both believe that that mix is how you make the most money and feel the best about your work and life. Um some people only to sell design fees. I I don't know. We we'll talk about more of that model later, but um and if you only sell product, then you probably own a store, but yeah, I don't know how that would work. I feel like one, if, if you're doing, if you're doing only one, 
like the design, if, you, if you're not making money by selling product and you're just like, oh, I just go through all that cost, your fees have to be really substantial to cover that. And then vice versa. If you're only selling product and then the design is relatively like free or very low price, then you must be making a lot of money off product and because also, how are you? You're West Elm, like, right? Like they have. Yeah. Like they can offer free design at West Elm because they are selling hundreds of millions of dollars worth of goods. But those also aren't necessarily designers. Some are, some have, they're not like probably. Some have. Designers. Some maybe yeah, are. Like I, some, I some might be. And then they do that as like a solid gig, you know, but like, I just don't, I can't see a way through before I was selling product when I was really just doing design and then retail everything. Like I wasn't making any money. All of that was the, the client was getting the best pricing on product, but like I wasn't making a whole lot of money. And okay, let's start with product. I, and this was really inspired by a few different hotties writing us in, writing in. And, you know, like we're always trolling these Facebook groups, getting fodder for the pod. <laughs> potter fodder. Potter fodder. Pod fod. And it seems like, and just from my experience chatting with designer friends, there are a lot of people that don't sell product. And I do get, if you're like doing a lot of construction work and you don't get to that stage with clients, I understand. And I'm not, it might work. We're not knocking it. No. And that's just like, God bless you. Cause I can't just do construction only. Cause I'm just not great at a lot of that stuff. But I do think even them, and I'm encouraging like our happy hour members too, there are ways they can be adding value to their clients and income streams through selling stuff mm-hmm. and getting a better, like getting a better project outcome by being in By selling it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So first things first. You got to build your vendor list. This is probably the most important thing, but also is a constantly, it needs constant adjustment and tuning, right? Especially now, like there's Mm -hmm. vendors that just don't even exist anymore, or they haven't had something in stock for two years. (laughs) Yeah. Like they haven't been great dealing with shortages and shipping and whatever. And more horror stories are coming out about different vendors all the time. And you're just like, oh, well, I won't be ordering from them, even though I like some of the stuff they're doing. If I'm hearing all these horror stories, I'm not going to even risk it with my clients. And that's where it's very helpful. I know we say this all the time, but it's very helpful to have designer friends in the industry and or Facebook community groups that can I, I'm just always kind of taking in information and just like, ooh, red flag on that one. Let me get more info. I mean, th- think about it like a doctor. Like if you were a doctor, you don't just like get your license to practice medicine, start practicing, and then never listen to what's happening in your industry or your trade or your profession for 34 years. Like you're constantly getting a new journal, getting an article, hearing from another doctor. And they're like, did you hear about like designers new research have to be the same way. new like, drug trials yeah. yeah otherwise we'd still be you know treating people with freaking leeches like designers <laughs> we have to keep changing and learning every time we go through stuff real life coming at you 
Yes. So build your vendor list. So I guess what the main thing with that is this is something that I struggle with a little bit, especially in the beginning is really consolidating who I purchased from. I, if you follow here for a while, you know, I'm an Enneagram seven. I like my options. I don't want to be like bottled into any kind of small group of vendors, but we have done this where we have picked like one, well, we have multiple, but one rug vendor, one lighting vendor, one case, good vendor, now window treatments. And right. we're trying to really focus on keeping those numbers up for them. And then of course I still buy through other places, but I always try the, my top vendors first. Yeah. Like, let me look and see if my big hitters already have it because I'm going to get the best possible price off of retail pricing through them if I keep doing it. Yes. So you keep your rep happy. You get your numbers down, I guess, Um, your percentages, your costs down. And it also really streamlines your process. So now I kind of know like, there's I only, you know, there's five vendors that I kind of know everything that they've got going on. So I'm familiar when they drop a new line or collection. I know what their summer stuff looks like. Like I am just focusing on a few things instead of trying to keep up with a million things. And I think it helps me be faster when I'm sourcing. I mean, the efficiency in sourcing time is also a way we keep our money in our pocket is don't just keep spending eight hours looking for a piece when you know you could get it from your heavy hitters in an hour. (laughs) It's fine. Sean's trying to mute out the drill from his office right now. So it's okay. Um, Totally. So I always check my, so I have like my, I consider them key accounts that I source from first. If I can't find it there, then I'll go down and start looking to others places, but I don't source from retail unless, I mean, really very rarely, if ever. It's like styling stuff or like finishing things that you're just like, God dang, I could not find that one lamp and CB2 happened to has one that will work or West Elm has the little trays or some accessories. Definitely accessories because a lot of accessory, wholesale accessory companies, you have to buy multiples. Um, and it takes time. And I usually wait till the last minute for those things. <laughs> but um, yeah, the only time I really do is if I'm so irritated at a project and I'm ready for it to be done. And I just like let the client like, okay, if you're going to be this picky about this one thing and you saw something at CB2 that you like, just go buy it. Just please go get it. <laughs> I'm not buying it for you. I'm not doing all that. You're not, I'm not sharing my 10% discount for that the headache of that it trade pricing is supposed to be for us it's not supposed to be for us to pass on to clients and so that is a discussion that we see in other design groups and stuff is like oh cb uh, like cb2 said that i they could give my discount to the client and it's like well that's your money you're, you're not supposed to just give the discount to someone that's supposed to be so you can make some form of a profit but that's not really profitable. 
Okay. Yes. So 15% discount that you get from a retailer, a, any Joe Schmo, you might not have known this, but you can actually go into West Elm and negotiate pricing. So, okay. Maybe not West Elm specifically, but a lot of retailers, they, their managers on the store at the store have some wiggle room and might negotiate up to 15% for you. So that's like, a wash like that's nothing and your client can just go do that directly mm-hmm. and if you did try to charge them full msrp and make the 15 percent money is that really worth the administration of typing out the proposal getting their money going to the bank ordering the thing waiting for it to come in opening the box checking for damage like <laughs> All the things I just described are ours. Everything you just said is agony for me to make. And that was like an item that didn't get smashed or come in wrong or whatever. Yeah, let alone a damage claim or the time to drive it back and forth to a store to send it back. And you don't have a rep and you're on 1-800-CUSTOMER-NO-SERVICE and you're waiting four hours to get in touch with a restoration hardware person. Yeah, so... You're that's and you just made you made $25 a hundred dollars maybe and that did not just cover all the things so don't even bot, like my opinion don't bother because you're losing money if you do that or even just their time time is money like that's what I mean. you want your life back <laughs> like my personal life and my well-being is worth way more than $25 markup on a hundred dollar thing or like $15 yeah. on a $100 lamp like that's minimum wage in California. I don't want to enter that into a proposal for $15. Like literally I spent spend more of that on a sandwich getting DoorDash to me. So (laughs) (laughs) I did just spend that on my lunch today. $19. Yeah. Um, so come on, like just don't even, don't even end. The customer service is not great. A supermodel. Like you remember how some of the supermodels was like, I don't get out of bed for less than $15,000 or whatever it was. That was so much money. And now I'm like, "Mm, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Why I don't sell retail unless I'm making thousands of dollars off of it. Like, Oh, you want to, you like, I'm never going to make it. I'm going to have to buy a restoration hardware cloud sofa. Ew. It just doesn't make sense. Like just have them buy it themselves. I'm saying I'm giving you permission to let your clients buy retail, but I don't think it makes sense for you to process that order. I think, I think we've like, if the hotties are listening and they're still like, but I'm going to be like, okay, well you do it, but just don't talk to us about it. Like don't talk to us about your crazy ex-boyfriend when you get back together with him anymore. Cause like, we don't want to help you give it. We don't want to tell you, you need to break up with him anymore. Okay. And I think, (laughs) and I think we should just like back it up a little bit and just say, if you haven't done this, you have, you have not sold wholesale furniture and you're scared, that's okay, but still figure out how to do it. And we're going to still talk about it and help you, but it's not that hard once you get it. I remember being really overwhelmed and like, what the fuck? People are going to pay freight and then extra for receiving and extra for installation. That makes no sense. How am I ever going to explain that? Because as a 
previous consumer, it didn't make sense to me either. But over time, I realized, no, I'm a luxury service. This is a different level of experience. And it all kind of comes out in the wash as balanced. It's just their time versus money. Yeah, they're they're paying us for that expertise time and doing that for them. And it only makes sense if you are doing large orders of wholesale furnishing to have it go to a receiver. This is going to be a different conversation, but you cannot have that shit coming into your house. You can't really have it come to your client's house either. No. It's, and I'm still, I'm still making mistakes. This is still happening to me in certain situations and I'm not going to do those certain situations anymore, but it's you, it's a lot of stuff. So if you haven't done it before, like I have a mirror that I just ordered for a client. It's like a going over the fireplace mantle mirror. The box it came in. So I had it sent to my office, which I have a warehouse in. So this is still okay. The box it came in is like an eight by 10 foot box. Oh my God. It's huge. I mean, it's supremely packaged yeah. for being on a tr- on a truck, basically. So now it's like, if you were to send that to your house, like you're, if you live with somebody, you're, they're going to be really pissed they're at gonna you. They're going to hate you. You're going to have to take like four different recycling cycles to get that out of your life. Like, yes. Okay. So, but like traditional don't. retailers are already doing what we're doing. Like Crate and Barrel, Target, they're already buying goods from wholesalers at wholesale prices and then selling it at retail prices to make money and you are literally trying to do the same thing you as are, a designer i know <laughs> like, i think you that are a like, retailer when i like, kind of started realizing like i am target store that made more sense so that's so if i take target in their warehouse and their registered employees out of the picture I keep that profit. Yep. And find the way to manage the deliveries, the freight. And I think most people from what I can understand is it's mostly being nervous on how to sell that value. Yeah. And, and I it, think part it of is it a is a mindset. It's a, this is a luxury service. This is the service we offer. Like this is, our clients want us to do this because they want they want better than retail. Like they want special things. They want unique things. They don't want the thing that everybody has. Yeah, take price out of it. Less. Take cost like, out of it and just make it be. Because you always hear things like, ooh, designer, like this is a designer level thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be different than what you just go down to home goods and buy. Yes. You're not going to find the same hardware in the Home Depot cabinet hardware section that you're going to find in your showroom and in my showroom. Although you might find the same rugs at Home Goods that you might find, but some, we won't some talk of them, about yeah. that. <laughs> but it's a big, it's a big deal because once you're buying all of these, it's really setting yourself apart from like, well, you can go buy that at West Elm, but like I have reasons why I don't want the West Elm quality or the West Elm finish or the West Elm headache. And so I don't sell that to my clients because I'm not West Elm. Like mostly, you don't want it 
uh, for the recognition. Like I literally can recognize all the West Elm lamps that everyone has in their mm-hmm. house. I still have one in my house that is driving me up a wall because it's been everyone has it. It's ubiquitous now. Yeah. So why why would you sell them this thing that they can get from the mom's group and all their friends have it? It just what was the point of them hiring you? So yeah. Think like that. Um Okay, so people are scared to open the accounts. Guess what? It's the easiest thing in the world. I probably have a hundred accounts open. I don't have terms. I don't like have any credit or like I'm not, you know, I don't owe anybody anything. I pay everything up front and I will probably always do that. Um, yeah, versus carrying terms where you're like, 50% due after this time or this time, like until you had a volume shop environment where you're like ordering millions in merchandise. I don't think that makes sense. Right. If you had a store that does, I could, could see where that would make sense, but yeah, most of like us we both there. collect, we both collect a hundred percent payment from our clients on their goods before we place the orders. You guys, I was just Cannot. in a, I was just on a thread and other designers were giving advice around this and they were saying, oh, definitely charge 60% up front and then get the balance when it comes in. No. Ew. I mean, I don't know any furniture vendors that don't charge immediately upon shipment. 100%. Right. Yeah. Like if it's going to ship, they're charging your card and you're, we just operate slightly differently. It's like, if we're going to order it, you're paying us. Well, because I don't know when that shit's going to ship. So that money mm-hmm. better be in my account ready to draw when the company draws it because I gave them my credit card. So, right. We're on the hook as soon as they decide to put it on a carrier. And it could be anytime between now and <laughs> never next um, year. But yeah. So, I mean, my, our, well, our upholstery vendor actually charges 100% on order so and we're not seeing that upholstery for 20 weeks but they charge up front so yeah why would anybody like they i think we've talked about this before they either have it or they don't like yeah they your client is either they either need to pay it or they don't want it there is no like oh i'm gonna hold it back because i think the the part that makes me feel gross about that is the idea of like well if it comes here and I don't like it, mm-hmm. I just won't pay the rest. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like Mm-mm. this is sold already. This is a hundred percent yours. You already 100% paid for it. You own this now. And if you, even in my contract, it says like, if we terminate the contract, you're still getting all your stuff. There's, there's no returns. There's no refunds. Like whatever was already ordered. If we have to end the contract, you're still getting all of that. Like we're going to finish that part. of Well, because they paid for it. I'm up front. Yeah. There's no like lingering balance due. Um, We'll talk later about design fees and how that can be broken up. And maybe that's over time, but that's that's in pieces. Yeah. But that's different than product because like, yeah, the vendors don't take returns. I had recently one instance where we ordered lamps from a large, good vendor. And 
I ordered, I thought they were like peacock blue. We even saw them in high point and they were peacock blue and the client received them and they're like Tiffany Robbins egg blue. Mm-hmm. Not the same. I even asked my husband who cannot blue is blue. And he's like, Oh yeah, those are the same. He sees in three colors. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I thought I like said, I, I requested that we get a return and they said, no, we think it's the same. And then I did another level and we laid out like a full, um, Claire, it was Claire's account. So she had a full law and order, like, Ooh, I did not hear that. Oh, I know I should, we didn't tell you. I created like a slide deck, like what we thought we were getting, what we got, what uh-huh. I saw at market, like, yes, come on folks. Like you had a picture of it at market, picture at market, a picture on their website, and then a picture of the actual. And then they finally said, okay, fine. We'll take it back. Yes. Don't do this again. I'm like, no, you don't do it again. No, you don't do that. <laughs> don't, they said it was that, a handmade they they had... item. No, a hundred percent. Not. I know what vendor you're talking about. 100%. No, that's a quality control issue. That was not just artisanal variation. Exactly what they were trying to say. And I'm bummed because like part of me was like, Ooh, do we risk it? Cause this is the, the lamp that we want in there. Right. But, um, no, they, they would never have like done it again. So anyway, correct. There are some things like that. And that's where you become the designer that's fighting for your client. And that felt like, you know, worth it for them to buy that. Cause if that happened to them, they would have been screwed if they had bought also, direct. Totally. But that's also the reason why we have to mark up mm-hmm. product because what if the vendor hadn't stood behind that? You're not going to argue with your client and say, well, you already bought it and I know you hate it and it doesn't look right. And then they're fighting with you over that lamp. You're just going to say, okay, I want to make this right. I'm going to refund you. Like if the vendor hadn't done it, sometimes you're just like, I don't need to be right here. I need to make sure my client's happy. So I'm going to refund this. I'm going to take the lamps back from you. I'm going to refund you the value. And your markup revenue that you make on all your projects is what helps give you the flexibility to do that when it's the right thing to do. Totally. Because yeah, they were just lamps, but they're $600 lamps. If you're a regular person, you're like, what am I going to just have $600 lamps in my garage? Um, or be pissy about them every time I look at them. So yeah, I was really hoping that I wouldn't get to that level or that decision, but, um, the company made good. So yeah. Markup revenue is just one of those things. Like you don't spend it all either. You keep it. Cause some of that money is going to need like money that you made six months ago off of markup could be helping to pay for that problem. Yeah. I always think like some projects I make a lot of more money on than others. Like some have yeah. to cover the next guy. Almost like when they sell cars, like, well, maybe not in this current market, but like in the past, remember like some dealers were like selling it and they're giving such a discount because someone's haggling with them. And they're like, look, man, I'm only making a thousand dollars selling this to you today. And then sometimes they sell a car and people come in and they're just a fool and they don't haggle. And then they just pay yeah. exact MSRP. And the dealer's like, 
heck yes, I made $7,000 on that car right now. And designers are going to be the same way. It's like, you have to look at it over time. You get all of it. Yeah. And that's why we say you, this isn't like a per project. This is like, it's got to be part of the whole business model that this is how you make money because it's not going to just be project to progress where you really see the value of earning money this way. (laughs) Yeah. And if that you get that 15% markup, then it's okay. I made $5 on this one and lost 27 on this one. That's like, why are you doing that? Yes. Um, okay. And then just to answer a few other things of like, well, how do I start? Where do I start? There's a few things you can do. Like we've mentioned, get some friends, start you know, opening, I hate this term and I'm going to say it anyways, like opening the kimono, like be very <laughs> vulnerable with your friends. Maybe they're in different cities and markets, if that makes you feel better and yeah. um, really share and what works, what doesn't, what, what you learned and what you've heard. Like it's so, I can't stress it enough how helpful mm-hmm. it is. And through that, you'll learn about vendors. Maybe you guys can share accounts in certain aspects. It makes sense. For instance, like forehands is really clear with your like pricing tier of where you're at and what your trailing spending needs to be. And as a single right. designer, it's really hard to get into those upper tiers. But if you get a few of you sharing one account, then somebody has to making. be, somebody has to be the owner. Like they don't want a bunch of designers asking about something on the same account, but, um, but it's still worth it. So like we've done it in the past where we use your account for this, my account for that. And so that way we're also sharing the responsibility of the admin. Yeah. It's not just all one of us getting all the email communications or the order updates. It's yeah, we're all yeah. kind of doing it. Cause you have to like, for like, there's only one email on it. So you have to forward the, um, updates and shipment notifications and things like that, but it's not that hard and it's so worth it. And, or buying groups are kind of the same thing. There's more formalized versions of what I was just saying. And there's some really great ones out there that they do do all the admin. They have really, really great pricing. So some of their accounts, you would never get as low as what you're paying them and they're still making money. Yes, because they have the the best tiers on pricing. Yeah, so like there's some that like the buying group I buy for visual comfort through right now, I still make 40%. Goals are to have my own. So we'll see. Yeah, well, of course, like you want, you would want that pricing model for yourself and not have to share it with everybody else. But if they're giving me 40, they're still getting 15 or 20 just for the admin of it. So, you know, they're like selling some volume. Yeah. The other way that we make this like super profitable though, is you have to set minimums per project. With the client. Like it's gotta be, oh, you're doing four rooms. Four rooms is a minimum of this amount of money based on the project we're talking about. Like product expenditures, not this doesn't count for your drywall or uh your countertops or your cabinets. Cause I don't sell that stuff. I sell lighting, I sell soft goods, I sell, I sell furniture. furniture, accessories. 
you list what you make money off of because those are the things that need to go towards that minimum expenditure. Maybe you make money off countertops. So that could be your thing, but if that's what your business does, but it's gotta be in the contract. Like if you're signing this with me, minimum, you're spending this much with me. Like this is what it is. This is what creates a profitable project for me, the designer to stay engaged in your project and interested Mm -hmm. And sustainable because don't you want me to stay in business so I can continue to warranty these things and be here for my clients? Like, so unless I do this, I don't have that. I will admit that I just started this. I just implemented it. I now have three proposals under my belt. One is going, one is going to sign. And then the third I'm waiting to hear. So it's so scary, you guys. So... (laughs) I think we talked about this on the pod, like early episodes when oh, I yeah, said yeah. I was going to do it. And you were like, I don't know. I think it's going to scare some people off. And then like, here I am with like all my, like all the projects I have now, except two that I had before I did that. All of them have minimum purchase agreements and nobody questioned that. And I think the difference is from what I was doing before is I was having minimum purchase expectations <laughs> yeah internally well also never communicated to anyone but me yeah. um and then i had product resentments <laughs> that because yeah, then clients whittle away at your number yeah are they like what about surely. this or we'll do this or yeah and then you're just like the now we're back to the camel by committee thing or horse by committee <laughs> horse by committee um, So, yeah. So after you started doing it and I started reading about it more from other designers and I really made it super duper clear in my proposal and it's my design fee is this much. We'll talk about that next. And then my minimum expenditure is this much. And this is what it includes or could include. And it's a big ass number most of the time. And it's probably, I will like really it's not that big compared to what big what designers actually do. well or no what a big designer would put in there oh yeah for other designers i'm sure they're putting in hundreds of i know of other designers oh, here in greater sure. la who are putting in half a million on mm-hmm. furnishings and accessories and and all of that two hundred fifty thousand dollar minimums like as you keep getting bigger and bigger you're gonna draw a line and say if I've got all these other projects making that much, why would I want to take on another project where they're only going to spend $15,000? Like why? Also, you're building a team to sustain the bigger number. So. Right. Okay. So when you take on a project, you want it to be like, oh, this makes sense financially for us to sustain this project for a year and a half or two years or whatever it's going to be to finish it all. Yes. And if you go back, so if your vendors are set up so that you're making 35% is like kind of the minimum of what you should be making, right? Mm -hmm. Like average, then you can kind of calculate what you're going to make and it helps set you up for the future of, okay, well, I know what my design fee is pretty much. And I know what my product minimum is going to be. So this project is going to take me through X many months. Um, So how do we figure out what to ask for? It's in our budget calculator. That's on our Patreon. (laughs) 
look at us selling you guys. I'm sorry, but we really, I've been doing this the last week. I've had two proposals go out and I've been using it. It's like, I'm here to tell you it works. It's just easier to say, oh, okay, we're here. We're talking about your master bedroom, your dining room, and your living room. Fill you, you take a look at this budget guide, fill it out. You can see the rooms that you're selecting are this amount. That's the amount I'm putting in your purchasing agreement. Like it's, there's a direct correlation and clients can see where these come together. So a real life conversation I had with a, one of those lead clients today, I gave her, and I'll tell you, I gave her a $25,000 purchasing minimum which isn't really that much, but there's a lot of construction more in her project. Mm -hmm. But I went through, I didn't even share it with her before I gave her the proposal. I just went through and did an internal click, click, click what I thought it would come up to, what I thought she should buy for this project. Right. And it came up to, let's say 40 grand, but I knew that number would scare her. And I wasn't completely sure if she would commit to that much in furniture. So I brought okay. it down to 25, knowing she probably should end up spending 40. But that, and this is the conversation I had with her today, is that gives us some wiggle room where we're fully on the same page. So, cause she's like, well, what if I want to shop vintage? Like, well, that's perfect. I now, now that I know that I am expecting the 25, we, I can give you homework. Cause there's like room in there. There's like yeah 15 to 20,000 of need. And so I can let you go shop and, right? and not feel and, resentful. And I'm still not going to be angry because we'll hit the minimum and I'll have a set amount of markup revenue minimum that I can predict coming into my business when we place your orders. And I was really clear about that with her and she was really appreciative. And she's like, that makes total sense. And I, and she even said like, and I do like to shop and do all this stuff, but I'm pregnant. And the reason why I want to hire a designer is so that I don't spend all my time doing that. Cause I don't have it like, yep, <laughs> you answered your own question. And you so, said, what was the minimum? 20,000? 25. Yeah. So like you're already, what you're saying is when you're saying 25,000, like 30% of that $7,500. Like it's not, it's not yeah, that easy not of gonna, a calculation all the time, but like, and I hope it's more. And so my game for myself is like, I'm pretty much, I know I'll make at least 75, but if I can get deeper discounts and go with my best accounts, I'll make more over 10. Yeah. It wouldn't and, take much to push that over 10. And if I do a good job selling stuff and upselling stuff, in ways that benefit her, she's going to spend more. Um, and so just the way I used that calculator, I did it internally. I had my conversation with her and I'm like, and I told, I explained what I did. Like, I'll actually share that with you. So I'll share you my version and then I'll share a link for you to make your own and you can kind of see. Right. Um, so sign up on patreon.com slash HYDC. Um, <laughs> We're selling the guide. You can get the guide and do that. Mine is similar. I've been, you, you know, I've been using that guide. Like I developed it so I can explicitly use that with clients. So now I've, I've kind of added a step for clients now, the way I'm currently using it, where if I go out to a consult, I have them fill that out 
before I write their proposal because I want the number from them. I've I'm I want them to just go, here's that, here's that range where we think we're gonna land for that, um, for that dining room or living room or both or whatever it might be. Because I don't, I don't want to start off on the wrong foot when we start developing concepts when it was like, where where are we starting from? If they or even they before be, you spend the time writing a proposal, probably. And I have one right now that's outstanding where I went on the consult. They haven't done that part of their homework yet. And I feel such a sense of relief of, I'm not writing a proposal for you if you won't even do the homework right now. Like, if you won't tell me a budget number, how am I supposed to finalize a proposal on a contract? Like, and that's okay. Some people will self-select out. That's why it's there. It's, I don't want to pretend we're going to be spending $45,000 and they're thinking we're spending 15,000. Like, Exactly. That's not, no one wins in that equation. Not me, not, not my business, not them. Like there's no, there's no real answer to that equation. It's an imaginary number. (laughs) Like, and I think it's so important for people, especially who have just kind of not bought anything in a while to mm. realize what things actually cost. And if they want to take the time to cross reference that with Restoration hardware, whatever their go-tos might be, they'll quickly see that we're pretty reasonable with what we've put in there. Correct. People need to like come up to terms with what they, we've talked about this before, what they think they want to pay and what actually things cost. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it works either way. I've done it both ways where I've given them the calculator first. I think that works best when people just won't give you a number. Yeah. Um, in the case recently, the last two proposals I've written, they've given me their like big number for their whole renovation. And mm-hmm. I felt comfortable knowing what they should be spending in accordance with that. And I think there's got to be teeth behind it when people tell you that. And that's why I put it in the contract is like at some point I need to be able to go back and say, hey, like I get you want to try to save money, but we're contractually obligated for this. Like you've made these commitments. So what are you going to cut from the rest of your project? Because we're, this is what we're doing. It's not like a, as your contractor keeps sending change orders and the contractor's making more money, like I'm not going to lose my money just because you're paying for more upgrades somewhere else. Like it's not robbing from Peter to pay Paul here. Like Peter, it wants to get paid. I'm Peter. (laughs) Peter needs to get paid and Peter Piper already picked you a patch of pickled peppers and you got to pay for those pickled peppers. Okay, Piper. Um... (laughs) Like you're just going to not have to have flooring in your kitchen because I need to sell you these table lamps. Well, I'm just kidding. But if somebody has 50,000, I'm just going to do, I'm going to pull Inea White right now. If a client has 50 grand, they have access or can get to a hundred grand. I don't want to hear excuses from people anymore. If they had 150, they got 200. I don't, if someone can qualify for these levels of projects that they're doing, there is more. It's not about your $2,000 side chairs or your $3,000 dining table. They have it. There's a value thing. So, and this is, don't be messing with our income stream. And that's why I think it's really helpful to put it in the contract in the beginning. Like right now, those 
construction projects have not started. They have not started hemorrhaging cash. Yes. <laughs> so they know That's like, so oh shit, I got to keep that aside for a studio. I got plum. another 60 grand that I'm going to spend here. Like, So when they're making decisions, whether they want to upgrade to whatever marble fireplace, then they've got to realize that they're... They already made... Yeah, your contractor would be the same. You already made an obligation. I'm already, I already demoed the bathroom. It already started. Similarly with you, you're like, oh, we already, we already did the living room. Like there is, we already started. It's too late. Like, yeah, you might as well just give me that money now. And I mean, I guess that's the next, I guess that's the next level, right? Like get that minimum expenditure on retainer. I mean, as soon as possible before the house starts going crazy, but I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not there yet. But aside from product, the opposite side of that is the design fee itself. Like what we get paid to create the design work. And you're kind of already, you've already started making the leap into flat rate. I'm still hourly and like right getting close to moving towards like going from hourly to flat rate. Yeah. So again, my new, <laughs> my new world order here. I, have, I personally <laughs> am not in love with tracking every second of my creative time. I have hangups around it. I'm not recommending that you have the same hangups, but I know that I like freedom around creativity. It's like a value of mine. And mm-hmm. I was really struggling with this hourly transaction with but I want to like touch and feel and ruminate and explore sit on Pinterest for a little longer I want to do it at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night and not feel like I have to go log that shit in somewhere so that's me and so I moved to this flat fee for design only So that doesn't include project management of construction. It doesn't include, sometimes it includes procurement. I'm clarifying that a little bit. Um, It doesn't include trips to the Bay Area because I don't know how many I'm (laughs) going to need to take for this project that I'm going to take. Fair. Um, So, but I do know how much time I can allot to my design and also give it a little bit more value because like in graphic design, there's always these arguments around, why would you charge hourly at something that you're really good at? Because if you take one hour to design the logo, the the client signs off on, you Mm -hmm. still can, should be able to sell that for 10 grand. Yeah. That's not your hourly rate. So the value of the design expertise is different than the actual time your body to took it. to make it. Yeah. And I think some of this is that in the time we've, it's not just the time it took us to realize this. It's also the time it took us to build the expertise in our businesses where we, there is now a point where I, we have increased efficiency in creating a better design and so why should a client get the discount for that? And so now we're starting, you're at this point where like what you earn off of those design hours actually starts getting smaller 
Because they're so fast. Yeah. Yeah, but it should not. It should not be like me bringing on my design assistant to make me more efficient should not mean that I get less money. In fact, it means I need more because I'm investing more in a project when I do it. So that's like, yeah, it's still track our time because you want to know when you're wasting it. Like, oh my God, we spent 100 hours and we thought it would be 60. Holy moly. Like we actually lost money on that project then if we really calculate out based on hourly payment. Yes. And I guess what's different is you can control how much you're spinning your wheels for the most part on design. Um, so again, like I want, good. I want the it. opportunity to spin my wheels and know that I can do that. And it's not going to, I don't know, bother anybody. Yeah. But also, yeah, track it, get better get your ideas out faster and don't just like my therapist calls it ending around because it's like n for intp that's intuitive so she's like you're just ending around when you're doing that so um watch it but i don't know enjoy the creativity and the freedom it allows you to exactly and knowing what you're that you're you know what again you know what money you're going to make at the minimum so like my design fees are flat and then it goes hourly for project management so because I don't know how much the contractor is going to need me I don't know what kind of team that the contractor is going to have I don't know how many site visits I'm going to take I don't know if there's going to be some sort of problem that I'm going to have to solve I don't know if they're going to fire me after I do the design (laughs) so I mean, at least you'll get paid and I'm, and I'm done. Like I haven't, like, I'm happy with where we landed and I'm not gonna get fired, but you know, like they may not need me that much for project management, right. which is perfectly fine for me. <laughs> and I like doing the project. I, I should say, I do like it, you do but, like I it. Wish, but I wish that it, like you're saying, I do it hourly. And I think especially because I have some contractors who make my life so damn easy that I didn't make a lot of money off of PM mm. for that project. And I'm like, damn, I should have charged more for the for the design then. But the reality is I should be charging more for the design on all projects. And then, then I'm not heartbroken when PM is is smaller or I have, you know, 30% less hours because it's a really great builder. Like that's no problem then because I don't feel like I lost out on revenue. Like I should hope that my clients have efficient projects. I should want them to have a smooth job site and not yeah, be like, because well, damn, now I'm losing money because they have a good contractor. And that like, project management is apples to apples time to dollar because you're only charging for when you're actually working. So right. if you aren't needed, then you're doing something else and you're making money doing that. Correct. Like your next project with your design intention. So I've been doing it. So flat rate design fee, I've been playing the other little toggle I've been playing with is um, my, just my deposits. And when I get that fee, the first one I did was I did, I asked for a hundred percent upfront of my flat design fee. And she's like, okay, 
boom paid it i love that oh my god it's so nice um and <laughs> yeah it's been so nice but this next these next but that's not a lot of construction the next couple of projects are going to be a lot longer um yeah and bigger numbers and so i and i you know you had to coach me through sending one yesterday and it was a bigger number and i felt weird asking for it all up front and and so it was felt more of like a i guess balance with them of okay i'm not gonna ask you for fifty thousand dollars cash up front and you're gonna be working with me for a year yeah so let's do the deposit then when you get your when we're about to go into the concept the next thing's done and then when my design concept is complete then the balance is due and by then we'll have trust and still be in it yeah it's like oh we're already so far in at this point there's no there's no going back. There's no doubt that, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not a baller like that where I can ask someone, hey, can you just like float me 50 grand? I promise I'll be here tomorrow. Like that's that's a lot for a lot of people. And so giving up that money just does not line up with. No, it's a lot. And it's, We're not working with ballers like that yet. And it also kind of felt like a lot of responsibility for me to manage that much money of my own in my business for as long as I might need it to last. Yeah, you're going to have to retain it and make sure that it's like used properly. Right. So if you don't have a cash flow system set up and a cash management strategy set up, like that money could disappear and then you owe it to everybody if something happens. Yeah. So don't do that. And I think like for me, that's why hourly is still kind of reassuring is because I'm I'm calculating it based off of estimates that I have now worked on year over year, every time I do a project, I can look up because Ivy does let me do this. I can track what room I'm working in, uh, in my Ivy proposals. So mm -hmm. when I put design time in, I can tell, I can say which room it was for. And then when I get to the end of a project, I can tell you what room, how much design time was spent in each room and for what, whether it was design or project management or vice versa. So for me, every project I get better and better and I can figure out, oh, this client's kind of describing this type of kitchen in our consultation. And okay, this sounds like mostly straightforward, not a lot of crazy built-ins, not a lot of custom stuff. We could, I could make this work and I think it'll be about this many hours. Is it exact? Oh, hell no. Like no one has ever been exact. Where most people are exact is... I usually kind of know about what I'll spend up through concept on certain rooms. Flat and fee. that's always what? And that's where I do a flat fee. Yeah. And so like once I know, oh, that's that's pretty accurate, then flat fee makes sense because now I'm like, wait, I said it would be this many hours and I was only off by like three or four hours. Well, then that's time to move to flat fee because what I'm estimating is getting so accurate that I'm right there. And when you do flat fee, you just do that and then add some more. <laughs> add something so you don't lose out on the deal. Don't make it like, oh, my flat fee for this bedroom would have been, if I did it hourly, it would be $3,000. And so I'm just going to do flat fee 3000 It's like, no, give yourself a little bit of room on that. 
Like, don't come in right at the number every time. Okay, well, I, I'm still testing this out, so I don't totally know if this is the best, but... I do think the val- one of the biggest value for flat fee is we all know what money we're making and the mm-hmm. client knows what money they're paying. So that is like equitable. Um, but also it's a value to me that I have that money in hand. Yes. And th- you can make payroll with it. Mm-hmm. You can cover overhead expenses with it. There's less and then there's less transactions. So yes, still track your hours internally, but I'm not billing the client. I'm not waiting for it to get paid. I'm not cashing the check, however you do it. And the pain of them having to write check after check and being like, but wait, our house isn't even being remodeled yet. And we've wrote like four checks. Or we're going through something really annoying with the contractor. And now that annoyance is bleeding out on you and we're just tired of paying money. So Uh, I just think so the way I've been doing it on these bigger jobs is I've Mm -hmm. been going room by room and setting a range of what I think the hours will be I'm doing not what you said I'm actually like airing towards (laughs) the middle of that range yeah because there's value to me in getting that money ahead of time Mm -hmm. so I don't know it's going to be, but this is also your experiment phase. Yeah, you're for sure. just in the beginning of it. So you're going to like, if it, if you go at the end and you're like, holy moly, that was a lot of hours, then you can just go, okay, next time I might aim a little higher when I send my next proposal. For sure. Yep. But I don't, I don't think know. any designers only going to make, I don't think anybody is out there making a hundred thousand dollars a year off of just fee revenue only. And I mean, when I say a hundred, I mean like your take home pay after running your business and your overhead with design fee only. I just don't see that being a sustainable business model where you're not selling product. You're just doing design fees by themselves and you're not making money on any other category. The only scenario that I've heard model that I've heard that might work with, and it's been very tempting at times is I've heard of a few designers that are just um, consultants and it's almost like they're designer on call full-time. So they don't do shit at their desk. Like there's no homework and they just show up to go shopping or show up to go to their house and tell them what window treatments to pick out. Cause the client already like got all their samples in. Um, um. So the designer's not doing any legwork mm-hmm. and they're just doing the Miranda Priestley fantasy. <laughs> like, come in. That. You should paint this room blue. You know, you should put a this sofa Like, maybe there. I'll keep a fan deck in my Hulk and bag, but I'm not bringing, like... And then... That designer doesn't even is, own a computer. Your overhead's very low then because you're not having to pay $1,500 for an annual AutoCAD subscription. No, and you're not... You're not you're not maintaining a material as expensive of a materials library. Like all of that then starts to become a lot easier to understand. Your when brain don't is have like overhead. your brain is where it is. Like there's no like emergency situation, and you're just like eh. yeah. And you and probably have a higher de- rate, right? And some of that is going to depend on what a livable wage is going to be for you 
one, as a person, like you're going to make that own, your own value-based decision. But two, what is a, what does that wage need look like in your community? Because it looks very different in Sacramento and Los Angeles than it does in Louisville, Kentucky. Like it's, yeah, costs are up everywhere, but the, what type of, what type of lifestyle do you want to create for yourself is the other question that goes with it because that's a whole other podcast episode, but it goes hand in hand with also what level of headache do you want? Like that person doesn't have a lot of headache. That consultant only model. Yeah. And they have like, they probably know how many hours they work. So their billables Mm -hmm. are consistent every week. And I don't know. I feel like that's like, would be like my semi-retired lifestyle. Like you'll only do in-home consults and yeah, I have some sort of yeah, like community yeah. cachet, like people still kind of know my name, but I'm like, I'm not dealing with Yeah, like you should call shit. Rebecca for a paint consult. Okay, pay me, pay me my fee. I'll show up. I'll help you pick your paint colors. I mean, I still kind of do that, but like full time. But in re- but yeah, like when you're not having to worry about all of the needs of these businesses anymore, like, yeah, that doesn't seem as challenging. Mm-hmm. So I think that could, I think that could work. If you feel like you could fill your time, you'd have to be able to book yourself out. I just feel like I want to make money in my sleep. We keep hearing that from other designers. Like, you I are not making money, money in your sleep doing that. No, you yeah, are I just, definitely I on the hook. I want to get, I do want, I'm, I'm manifesting this. Oh. One day I would want a rug line. One day I would want a textile line or some accessories or like, I want to do that. I want that because you make money with your name on it. I was just thinking about that recently. Cause don't you see like a lot of the designer collections that you see, whether it's wallpaper or rugs or whatever, I'm not, not all of them by any means, but a lot of them aren't working designers. Like they are product designers now. Yeah. Which does sound kind of nice too. I mean, Look, anybody call me, I'll talk about it. I mean, I want it to match what I like and my aesthetic and my style, but like, yeah, I want to eventually get to a place <laughs> where- Like, Sean, we want to put out a line of chev- <laughs> black and navy blue and white Chevron rugs. <laughs> Can you We'd name love to attach the Renstead name to this. We feel like it's a perfect fit. And, and they'd be like, oh, and also all the rugs are viscose. A hundred percent viscose. There's your <laughs> empire right there. <laughs> but you know what? It's not for me, but there is some designer somewhere in the country who that is their jam and they're going to sell the heck out of those. It's not me. Um, oh, no, it's not. It's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be the right fit. <sighs> this is like two of the main ways we make money and I just think we have to focus on what is going to make you feel fulfilled and not resentful and excited about projects. And for me, a big part of that is, well, at least I made 10 grand on that stuff. Well, at least I made five grand by selling these things. Like to me, that is reassuring of, well, at least I will be able to contribute towards my family's mortgage this month and I will be able to pay for our seven dollar a gallon gas like and i think one thing we didn't really specify is do it in a way that makes sense to your values and this is what i explained to the client today on the phone is i'm not just here trying to sell you crap like 
I, I'm just not willy nilly like cash grabbing here. Like I could here. sell you anything, sure. Like, but like I'm not the, going to. No, the things that I'm selling are things that I stand behind. Again, like we go to market, like we have trusted vendors. If they make a mistake, they'll fix it. Like this is all part of like they know they have vetted contacts through me. And I'm setting it up so that I feel good, even though I'm focused on my profit percentage when I'm sourcing, I've already done the legwork to know that anything is still going to be good. That makes sense. Right. Like I'm not just exactly finding cheap shit that I'm going to sell. Yeah. This isn't, I'm not picking up, I'm not picking up the threshold collection from target and putting it in your house here. Like we're not talking about that. Unless it's an accessory and whatever they have. Some and maybe. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, some good stuff. Um, but no, I'm not marking that up and pretending that it's worth two thousand dollars. Precisely. So we hope you guys. We really just want you all to put on your big girl pants or big boy pants. Yeah, and on your pantalones. Make some money. Ask us questions. We're here for feedback and like specific questions we'll try to tackle it in future episodes or maybe we'll talk about it on our patreon account um what do we call that the post what are the posts called the board oh my god the message board let's turn into a grandpa look we're new to patreon too okay (laughs) (laughs) um yeah we want to like get you over that fear factor and once you're in it, it starts, I promise you, it starts to make more sense. Yes. You Start small. Feel, you don't have to feel bad about want, earning money. Like, oh, no, we should not feel bad about it. We should not feel apologetic to clients about, okay, I'm so sorry, but I have to make money on this. Like, no, that's a statement, not a question. Like, I am going to make money by running a business with this, period. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's all a transaction. So definitely. Okay. All right, y'all. So until next time, stay hot, designers. Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D. That was a sh- That was. Um, that was good. Okay. Girl, it is so hot. I realize um, the afternoon sun is cooking this side. And the thermostat is out at the front where it's cold and it is, I'm like sweating from my ripple folds right here. <laughs> like. <laughs>